0: All right, uh, today our scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. All right. um, if you do not have a Bible, there should be a few Bibles either in front of you or behind you, and if not, please uh, share it with the person next to you. <clears throat> All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. This is the uh, famous uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. I got to get there too. All right, there we go. All right, once again, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. This is the word of God. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, this is Jesus talking, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed. Leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. All right, let me pray before we begin. (coughs) Lord, um, I know this is a very famous parable, and I know that um, we have heard this parable many times, and we've heard many applications of it. Um, And and I just pray, Lord, I I, I tremble at the thought that I I get to preach this. Um, There have been countless pastors who have preached this and, 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 Lord, it, it is, in one sense, a, a fearful thought. But, but I pray that, um, that not my voice will be heard, but your voice. That, Lord, we will see you, Jesus, in the text. And that, that we will see your righteousness come out um, and nothing else, Lord. Uh, and I pray, um, speak through me. And I pray that you give um, our people um, eyes and ears of faith to hear your word. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) All right, um, before I begin, uh, let me just introduce myself. Uh, My my name is Frank, right? Most of you guys do know me, but um, I'm always, always, whenever I come into the AM, I always see new faces. I'm always happy, right? And so, you know, it's a pleasure of mine to introduce myself. And so my name is Frank. Um, I am the youth pastor in this church. And, man, I have been in this church since 1995, 96, right? And so, like, uh, I have been in the, C- I've been through, like, the whole thing, right? I've been to the CM, the youth group, and the EM, um, and let me say that uh, I, 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 I love the EM, I love our EM, and uh, I love our youth group, and it is a pleasure of mine, you know, like, I've, I've, I've spoken, like, two or three or four times now but every time I come into the EM it's it's always exciting it's always exciting because I see new faces I see new, new members, and, and, and it's great. And so uh, I am glad to uh, be here with you guys. I'm a little nervous, I mean, I, although I've preached before. Like John, John, John's laughing at me right now. He's smiling. Uh, I'm nervous because I think this is the first time I, I, I'm preaching to both the youth group and the EM at the same time, and I don't think I've ever done that. So uh, please bear with me uh, this morning. All right. Um, so let's just get straight into this. So one of the first things we learned growing up, okay, one of the first, very first things that we learn growing up, you know, like kindergarten first, second, third, fourth, and this is always repeated is how to treat people. Right? That's always one of the first things that we learn. And we are all taught a variation of the golden rule. Right? Many of us have probably heard of the golden rule, but if you haven't, the golden rule basically goes something like this: treat others as you would like to be treated. Right? And I actually did a Wikipedia search on this, right, golden rule, to see if something came up. And I was actually surprised that this golden rule, actually like all religions and even ancient people and modern people have all come to this conclusion, right? I mean, in in Greece, there's a guy named Isocrates. And this is the way he puts it. Do not do to others what would anger you if done to you by others, right? Lao Tzu said, the sage has no interest of his own, But takes the interest of the people as his own. He is kind to the kind. He is also kind to the unkind. For virtue is kind. He is faithful to the faithful. He is also faithful to the unfaithful. For virtue is faithful. Kind of deep, right? Kind of deep, you know, mystical Chinese, you know, wisdom right there, right? But what you see here is you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that there is an underlying universal principle that people, both ancient and modern, have understood. That we should be neighbors to one another. And one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith is our call to love one another as ourselves, or to love our neighbors as ourselves, or to go even further, to love our enemies as Jesus preached at the sermon, sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, right? And today we're looking at one of the most famous parables of Jesus that speak to this topic of loving our neighbors, right? And so I'm just going to go and, you know, like contextualize this, this uh, parable, you know, to, to modern times. And so what we have here is we have a lawyer, right? It's an expert of the law. And essentially the expert of the law, if we were to like put it in modern terms, that would be like, an OT professor, like a seminary professor slash law professor, right? Who would know the Bible inside and out, cover to cover, right? Like they would know like every single law. I mean, I, apparently like Leviticus, there's just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws. And so this guy just knew it, right? He just knew he can He could probably just cite verses like this, ba, ba, oh yeah. You do this when this happens. You do this when this happens. The rule says this, this, this. Right? This is who we're talking about. In this, in this parable, right, we have this lawyer, right, and it says that he wanted to test Jesus. Right? He is trying to stump Jesus. He's trying to discredit Jesus. Right? And so he asks this deep question, relevant question. Jesus, teacher, he calls him teacher, how do we inherit eternal life? Right, looking for an answer from Jesus, and and, and you know I, I love Jesus. I know most people have this idea, like you know, there's that movie Son of God, right? And he's like very stoic and very pretty looking, right? And uh, very plain. But but in the Bible, like I, I love passages like this because it shows that Jesus is a character, right? Like he's got a little bit of sarcasm. He's a little snarky. He can rib rib you. And so Jesus being Jesus, instead of just straight up answering the question, oh well, in her eternal life. Oh, this is what it means. Right? No, he goes, well, he actually just asks the question. He says, well, what do you think it is? What does the law say it is? Right? And now you can see this, this lawyer. Okay. You know, he's, he's calculating, going through his scriptures. Like, like I think, I, I feel like, I imagine like a Rolodex. He's like going through it, and he comes up with two things. He says, well, love your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor right, as yourself. Right. So he's pulling from Deuteronomy six and Leviticus nineteen, right? And he says this, knowing that you know like, this guy knows his material, right? It's, it's, it's the guy. It's like the professor. It's like, oh, I know that answer. I got you, right? And so Jesus, and Je- how does Jesus respond? He just goes, "Good answer." you know what, that's how you get eternal life, so go and do it, right, and, and I imagine that Jesus is like saying this tongue-in-cheek, right, because remember, the lawyer here is trying to trap Jesus, right, and essentially what has happened is Jesus just trapped him, right, so he's like, okay, so you know, go and do it with this, I can just imagine saying with a big just grin on his face, right, and but the lawyer knows the minute he blurted out that answer like he lost he lost the argument he lost the fight right and so in order to save face and this is what it says the bible says he just he's trying to justify himself in order to save face in order to justify himself in order to prove himself right to get out of this this predicament he's in he asks well that is the sly dog that he is who's my neighbor jesus right who's my neighbor right what's he asking here Right? He's, he's trying to nickel and dime. He's trying to nickel and dime this, this command to love our neighbor. Right? Instead of paying the full dollar, he's just trying to give him like 10 cents, 5 cents, trying to bring down the standard. Well, who's my neighbor? Because he's probably thinking in his mind, probably just my Jewish friends and my buddies. Right? And I, can just, I can just imagine Jesus like getting ready to pounce, like, oh, I got you. Oh, I, I got you here. Right? And so he paints this story. This story about a man and he, go, and he starts off with a story about a man who's, who's traveling to Jericho, and he's robbed, right? He's stripped of his clothes, right? Taken all of his possessions and left for dead. He's half dead, right? And they, they even take his clothes because they know that they, they can sell the clothes, right? And the road to Jericho at this time was very notorious. It was notorious for robberies, right? Highway robberies, you know, in the wild, wild west, you know, you had all these highway robberies, you know, Jesse James and the gang. Like, this was what was happening on this road, Right? And this was common knowledge. And so he sets this up. Jesus sets this up. And, he, and, and then he introduces three people. Right? Two are similar, and one is different. Right? He introduces a Levite and a priest right? on separate occasions. Right? And they're essentially the same, same type of people. Right? a Levite is essentially a priest they were, you know, Levites were, were one of the 12 tribes of Israel and their, own, their main duty as a tribe was you will be our priests for all the nation right? so essentially two priests come along the way right? and they both encounter this guy half dead on, dead on the road and on, both, on, on these separate occasions they both avoid the dead, half dead guy right? and cross to the other side of the road and just leave him behind But then, there's a different guy that comes along. The third guy, he's different. He's a Samaritan. And what does the parable tell us? It tells us that he shows compassion to this guy, and he goes above and beyond the call of duty to restore the half-dead man, right? He restores the half-dead man back to health. Now, usually when we hear this story, when we hear this parable, we tend to focus on the good Samaritan. And usually our big takeaway from this parable, right, is that the good Samaritan is a shining example of compassion, mercy, love, and downright neighborliness. And and it is our example, and we should follow his lead. This is where most of the time we fall, right, in our understanding of this passage. But I think what this parable really does is is expose the failure of the lawyer, priest, and Levite. It exposes their failure in understanding and their ability to be a neighbor. And it shows the lofty standards of what loving a neighbor really means. Right, it's like a double-edged sword here. Right? And so, on one hand, you have Jesus turning the tables on the lawyer by showing that the Samaritan was the one who acted like a neighbor, who truly was a neighbor, over and against the Levite and the priest. Right? These guys should have known the law. They knew the law. They knew that you're supposed to love your neighbor. I mean, there are so many, so many laws in in Leviticus that tells that tells Israel, you must love the poor, you must do this for the widows, all all this stuff, right? And so they should have known. Right? But they don't. They don't follow through on the law. And so it's shocking. Right? It's shocking. I mean, that's like a slap across the face. For this, for this lawyer because who is the one that's actually loving? It is the Samaritan. And for Jews and Samaritans, the fact that Jesus made the Samaritan a hero, oh, that's a slap. Because Samaritans and Jews don't get along. Right? Up until this point, they've had a bitter and hateful relationship. If I were to put this in modern terms, they were like Jews and Palestinians today. Right? And even worse, if I, if I want to be a little bit crass here, Jews considered... Pa- Samaritans as scoundrels and half-breeds because they were they had Jewish blood but they were mixed with other races and so and also their religion was part Jewish but mixed with other religions and so they would turn their no- nose up against them right and so it was shocking that the lawyer would see that the Samaritan was there and it's and it and he's so taken aback that you know what he does when Jesus says so who was the neighbor instead of replying the Samaritan was he replies. He can't even say the guy's the guy. He says the one who had mercy. Right, the one who had mercy he doesn't say Samaritan. He says the one who had mercy. Right. And on the other hand, right, the one who should have showed compassion and help, right, the priests and Levites. I mean, these are like pastors essentially. These are the pastors, okay, of our generation. They're more consider- concerned with their well being their calling, right? because priests and Levites were, were, were especially called to help the poor, but they passed along this guy for any number of reasons. I mean, when you think about it, right, when they're coming along the road and they see this guy, half-dead guy, and they're along one of the most notorious, you know, roads in all of Israel, you know, they're also probably, they're, all, they're probably scared of their own well-being, Right? Because who knows? Maybe there's a mugger. Maybe there's a robber behind the bushes, behind the, the rocks and, and the crevices. And so maybe they're trying to ambush. They're just leaving this half-dead guy out right? so they can come by and mug the next person. So you're thinking, oh, all right. Well, that's a little dicey for me. You know? I, got, I got other responsibilities, so I got to go. Right? I mean, another interpretation that people have said is, well, they were priests. Right, and priests had certain duties. You know, they were the ones that had to do certain rituals, right, for Israel. And and if they, one of the stipulations was if they touched a dead man, if a Levite or a priest touched a dead man, they would be considered ceremonially unclean and therefore unfit to do to fulfill their duties. Right, and they would have to take like seven days off and wash themselves in like in a crazy manner, right? And this was a stipulation, so you can imagine them. Is he dead? Not dead. Oh, do I really want to take this chance? Uh, you know, I got other responsibilities here. Let me just—I'm just gonna go, right? And so you see how both the lawyers and the priests and Levites are exposed, right? And I think the parable is a reflect- reflection of the difficulties of truly loving one's neighbor, right? I think as a young guy, like when I was a kid, like I didn't understand that. It's like it, to me it was simple like, dude, just love your neighbor. Like I remember um, growing up, I went to my neighbor's house, right? I would play with the with with my uh, with his kid, right? Um, and you know, I would told him, right? I was like, "Oh yeah, I think we could achieve world peace one day." I was like, oh yeah, of course we can, right? All we have to do is just treat each other, just follow the golden rule. If we just love each other, if we treat each other the way we want to be treated, then it should be fine. And and let me tell you, that's like the first instance that like my bubble was burst, right? Like I lost a little bit of innocence that day because he just laughed at me. (laughs) This guy laughed at me. He just laughed. (laughs) And I was like, why are you laughing? Right? He's like, that's never going to happen. And I was like, what are you talking about? Right, Like I was really naive. I'm like, no, it can. But now as you get older, you know, middle schoolers, high schoolers, you know, you'll, you'll get to experience this a little bit more, right? You realize that this is a lot tougher than it looks, right? And, and there are many different reasons why. One of the reasons why we tend to fail in loving our neighbors is because we tend to limit the scope of who our neighbors are kind of like this lawyer, right? He's trying to, to weasel his way out. He says, who's my neighbor? And he's thinking, oh, you know, just my Jewish friends. And so he's, he's limiting this neighbor, the neighbors. And, and sometimes we do that too. We have deep-seated biases against certain people, right? From a racial standpoint, right, sometimes there are racial, ra- racial biases that we have that stop us from being neighbors to other people, right? I'll be honest. Like, Growing up in a Korean church, right? Koreans tend to be all about the pure bloodedness, okay? Because you gotta be pure, but Koreans, right? We stick together, and so there is a natural kind of sense of like, oh, me against them, right? Well, we don't mix. We shouldn't mix, right? You know, and, and all cultures and all races have those types of biases, and we and we have that, right? Other times, you know. We, 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 we define who our neighbors are by our ideologies. Oh, that person's too liberal and can't be a neighbor to them. Or, or that person's too conservative. Oh, they're Republican, they're Democrat. Oh, they watch CNN. I don't know about that. Right, these, these guys watch Fox News. Uh, right? I, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can be a neighbor to that guy. Right? Uh, they're commies over there. Right? Oftentimes, I do know, it's just back in the day. That's what people would say. All right. Um, and oftentimes, right, sometimes we exclude being a neighbor to other people on the pretense of religion. Oh, that guy's a Muslim. I uh, can't hang out with them. Oh, that guy's Buddhist. Uh can't, can't hang out. Can't, our family can't, can't hang out with them. Don't want to be influenced by them. Right? Uh, we do this, right? And oftentimes, uh, we will only be neighborly to those people who think like us, act like us, live in the same socioeconomic economic bracket as us. And in, and in Silicon Valley, right, right? Usually our neighbors are upper middle class, middle class folks who have who are highly mobile, right? Who work in tech, who work in the tech industry, and you know minimum have a bachelor's degree, right? And it's preferable to have a master's PhD, right? And and it's natural, right? And, and in the high school terms, let me, for my high schoolers, for my for my youth group, I, I, I got examples for you too. Okay, so. Right, the ones we help, the ones we actually are neighbors to, are right, are usually the ones who are in the same classes as us, AP classes, with me, who are highly driven academically, and who tend to be good kids. Like I'll tell you, like in high school, this is one of the things I noticed. Like I only took one AP class. It was my senior year. I took AP government, right? And most of the cl- and the other classes I was in the stupid or dumb class. Okay, but I just remember, right? It was a like. It was a culture shock in one sense because I saw all the AP students, right? And I was like, oh, I get to hang out with these AP students. And I just realized they all had classes together and they would just always mingle together. And honestly speaking, they never hung out with the dumb kids, right? And, I, and I'd be in, in, in those classes, right? And so it's natural. We naturally stick to those that we like. We naturally stick to those that we like. Other reasons. Sometimes... The reason why we don't love others as neighbors is because certain responsibilities get in the way. Sometimes right, we see someone in need and then we start to calculate, ooh, how much resources will that take to love that person? Right? How, many, how much resources? Can I spare? Right, one of the big ones is time, especially in, 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 this, in this area. Time is of the essence here. Right? And so, oh, can I be a neighbor to that person? That's going to take a lot of time. I'm already juggling time between work and family. Can I really do that? Can I really let up in those areas of my life? It's going to cost me. Lord, come on. You want me to spend time with people who are in need? But, but that cuts into my comfort. That cuts into my downtime. I need that to recharge right so I won't be so I'll burn out so I can be effective or for my youth groupers right I have all this schoolwork I see that person in but I got all this schoolwork and I have all these extracurricular activities I just can't find time to do it because if I drop this thing there's a chance that it will affect my grades it has a chance to affect my future so can't do it right now it just doesn't fit in my schedule Sometimes we just have fears. Honestly, it's just fears. Sometimes, right, we feel like there's no way to help that person. Oh, there's a person, I, I can be a neighbor, but you know what? Like, I don't got the gifts. I don't got the talents. You know, I, I'm, I'm too introverted. Right? I'm, not a, I'm not a people person. I can't be effective. And, and isn't that kind of the job of the pastor anyways? Right. And these are all the various different reasons that, that we that we bring up. And and I think the third reason, right, that we have trouble loving others, being neighbors to others, is guilt-induced duty. Guilt-induced duty. I think this is the killer. Honestly, I think this is the one that's like really kills people. Right? Why do we fail to love the needy to love our neighbors? Because many times we see it as a duty. We see it as a check mark on our to-do list right, for Christian duties. Right? And it's even more of a double whammy. Right? It's even more of a double whammy when you realize the extent of the Good Samaritan's compassion that it's darn near impossible to do what is being asked here. I mean, what did the, what did the Good Samaritan do? He loved a person, he helped a person whose people would have looked down upon him. If that guy was, like, if the, if, the, if the dying guy was, like, healthy and just walking about, he'd probably see the Samaritan and be like, get away from me, you swine, right? You're beneath me, right? And so he helps that guy, right? Not only that, he actually puts his life in physical danger because there is a very real chance that there might be people ready to ambush him. But he puts his life on physical harm. Not that it says he spent the whole day helping him recover. I'm sure he was on his way, and he, I'm sure he had obligations and responsibilities, and he decided to help this guy, ruining his schedule, lugging a half-dead man man to an inn. And not only that, he administers aid, some sort of relief. It says that he bound up his wounds and put oil and wine. Oil and wine was used to relieve pain relief really pain back in the day. And can you just imagine how expensive that would have been? Coming out of his own pocket? So he spends time, spends money, and then on top of that, he pays two denarii right, for, the, for, for, for his stay, for this guy's stay. That's two days worth of w- wages here. Okay? Two whole days worth of wages. Right? But then it he, he goes even further. He says, it says that, oh, this guy told the innkeeper, well, you know what? Let him recuperate all the way. Let him get him to full health when he's ready, okay? Then you can let him go, and, and whatever extra charges, whatever extra money that goes into taking care of him, you know, when I come back, I'll pay for it. Because if he doesn't do that, it's like uh, our healthcare system in one sense, right? Like, you know, you, you get a surgery, it costs like $5,000, and you don't have insurance, and that's on you. You're like, oh, I don't got that money, and so what am I gonna do, right? In the very same way, he's like, well, I don't want this guy to be in debt because back then you, you you have money to pay, you had to go into slavery. So he keeps him from being a slave. Right. And on top of that, he doesn't do it out of duty. You know how this is a Samaritan. He doesn't fully understand the law. He doesn't fully understand God's commands. He does it out of his compassion. His compassion. I mean, if, if I'm just like putting up on a pedestal, this is the equivalent of being asked to save the world. He's being asked to save the world, honestly speaking. And far too often we feel like when we read into this parable, we feel inadequate because we don't we can't save the world. right? We can't save the world. Like you ever watch, I mean, for my youth groupers maybe, I don't know if they still show this on tv but i think for our em guys you probably have seen this right there's an old bearded man who comes out on tv with the poor african child right he's like a baby and and then you know there's like a fly for some reason there's always a fly there's always flies okay there's always flies like going around them it's like just and the kids aren't doing anything and he says if you just give 10 cents a day for this poor child you can feed him right Especially, and, and we show it in America because, you know, we are the land of, of wealth. We all have money to help, right? And in it one sense, it's like it's not asking, the commercials isn't asking us out of, out of compassion, partly, but a lot of times it's out of guilt. Like, oh, man, I really have all these things. Oh, so maybe I should do it. And then, and then as you continue growing up, like I remember this, like when you get into college, you realize, right? You think like, oh, poverty and all that. But then you realize, oh, there's, there's sex trafficking. There's freeing people from North Korea. There's all these like service groups to help people. And then you kind of get overwhelmed because you're like, oh my goodness. What can I really do? What can I really do? And, and, and very very much so like we are a lot of times we're guilted into helping people. Like I remember going into a coffee shop and you know the rage right now is fair trade, single origin coffees. Right? And I would and I'd be like, Okay, well I went one time and I asked, Okay, what is this? And they explained to me. Like, oh well, fair trade, single origin coffee is that like there's a single source, single farmer that makes this coffee, right? And fair trade is we directly you know, buy the product from the farmer so that they don't get swindled. Right? And then they'll tell you, and this is why you have to. This is why you have to do it because otherwise, you're a terrible person. Right? You don't love those people. Oh, you're a terrible person. Right? So it's like I'm guilted into like, I can't afford that coffee because it's like 10 bucks. But uh, right, I can afford the $2.50 coffee. All right. I'll do it. Right? This happens all the time. And at one point, right, if you're being a neighbor out of guilt or duty, you know what ends up happening? You get jaded real quick. I think that's what happens to a lot of people. They get jaded real quick because you feel like a failure, because you feel like you have to save the world. See, the central issue is that for many of us, including myself, Like the problem, the the running same running thing in in this theme in this problem is that we're about self-preservation. We are too caught up in protecting our time, our money, our comforts, our pride, and in a very large sense, this parable, yes, it's about what this good Samaritan does, but it's 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 a mirror to ourselves, and it leaves us exposed, as it did the lawyer. To come face to face with the fact that we are, if you think about it, think about what the Good Samaritan represents—that we are utterly incapable of loving our neighbors as this Samaritan does. So, what's the point of the parable? Is that all Luke leaves us with? Because he's the one that wrote this, right? How and and, and how do we go and do likewise? Because that's what Jesus says at the end of it, right? After the end of this parable, he says, "Go and do likewise," right? To, to the lawyer, right? And in one sense, he's like, I gotcha. But in another sense, in earshot of all the, all the disciples who are there, it's like, oh, this is what we're called to do. But if we're so incapable, how do we even do likewise? I think the point is that for us to truly even begin to love our neighbors, those who are around us, to love the needy and, and the broken around us, is to understand that we can't love out of our own our own spiritual richness. But I think this parable is telling us that we must realize that just like the man who is physically half dead and beaten, and to realize, just like the lawyer, we are spiritually broken and poor, incapable. See, more than the good Samaritan, more than identifying with the Good Samaritan, we identify with the man laying half dead on the road. Because we're spiritually that messed up, because we can't follow. Follow what God actually asks of us. And then to look at the Good Samaritan, the true Good Samaritan, the true loving neighbor, it is Christ. It is Jesus. Because he is the one who restores us in our brokenness. Who goes above and beyond the call of duty to mend us and care for us. That he who himself, I mean if you think about it, Jesus himself is treated like a Samaritan. He's treated as an outcast by all the Jews. By the Pharisees. Looked down upon and reviled. And he risks his safety, his life to save ours. That he who loves us and patiently restores us does so not because we're in the same socioeconomic bracket or have the same ideologies or are in the same AP classes. He doesn't, because Jesus doesn't limit who his neighbor is. Yet we of different backgrounds receive the gospel. We know he's the ultimate neighbor. We know he's the ultimate good Samaritan because he proved himself time and time again in the Gospels. I mean, you read the stories of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? Goes up the tree, right? And then, and then, and then why is he in a tree, right? Because he's trying to see Jesus, right? And, but he's all far away. Why? Because he is a tax collector. He is a Jew who is a tax collector. Tax collector. He is a traitor to his people. He, he stinks, to his people in his brokenness in his loneliness who is the one that comes to him at the tree it is Jesus it says Zacchaeus come down let's have lunch together to restore him and I wonder I, I wonder you know because uh, when they put names in, in, in the Bible like that usually that means like you can actually go talk to Zacchaeus he's, he's probably a Christian Right? If there is no name, usually it's like, oh, that guy is not worthy to be known. And yet Jesus restores him. He who was a traitor. Right? He is a neighbor to the robber who is crucified with him. You know, there are two like robbers next to him and they're crucified with him. And Jesus says, he says, you, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. Forever. Jesus is the one who loves us and cares for us when we are the lonely ones without a friend, when we are struggling with various addiction issues, when we face the stigma of single motherhood, when we have marital issues, when we have depression issues. It's Jesus who redeems us and loves us. And and, and when we start to swallow that, Christ has been the neighbor that we can never be, when we experience that love, we will begin to be neighbors to others, as He calls us to be. Almost done. Yeah. All right. Just want to share with you a testimony of this. So one of so we go to Bishop, California, every summer, and um, to native to to, to uh, Native American uh, to a Native American reservation, right, to uh, share the gospel and love uh, Native Americans there. Um, and we do a VBS every year and last year there was this, we did the VBS and you know, like we do games and all these stuff and there happened to be this little girl, her name was Tabitha and, and she came by, right, on her bike, right, she's not Native American, she's, 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 she's white, right, and she, and she saw us doing these things, right, and she decided, to stop by, get off her bike, hey, what are you guys doing, right, oh, that's really cool, you're playing games, can, can I join, Right, and so you know we're not gonna just be like, nope, <laughs> you're not Native American. We're not gonna take you in. No, it's just like, hey, let's, let's take you in. Like, yeah, let's let's hang out. And and throughout that week, right, as Tabitha hung out with us, there was one girl in our youth group who she had a particular connection with, and it's interesting because this girl in our youth group she she tends to be more introverted and and, and um, you know not really much of a people person. Right, um, and and she has her struggles, you know, with it. But but so for some crazy, odd, uh, wonderful, beautiful reason, Tabitha and her clicked. Right, and this is the end of her testimony. She said this on a Friday, uh, Friday night once. Right, and so this is what she says: throughout the trip, I learned that these people from Bishop are not different from us at all. We are told that we are the same and we are family. We all know in our minds that we are equals, but not really. We all know that we're all broken, but maybe Bishop is just a little more shattered. The stereotypical thoughts swimming through our minds are hard to get rid of, but we have to know that we really aren't different at all. We don't go there only to redeem people or just to save them, but to be broken with them to have God into our lives just as much as theirs, to show our brokenness alongside theirs, not as competition to see who has it worse, but to show that we are the same as them and there's really no difference, but God brought us out of our misery. He showed us that it's not the world, but he who is truth and the life and the way. God broke my heart just as it broke his because he is able to understand the pain we are all going through. And loving someone who's going through the same things as you, hear this part, is a lot, is a lot easier than to love someone who seems to be way out of your range, just as it was for me and Tabitha. Like I'm, not, I'm not using this as a plug to go on missions or go to Bishop or anything, but, but, but the spirit of what, what it's saying here. We easily, she could have easily seen this girl as just another girl as a project but she didn't. Why? Because she lowered herself. She sees Tabitha as the the dying man laying on the road, and she saw herself as the dying man laying on the road, and we both need Jesus. And so even though they're so different, I mean, high schooler and elementary school student, she was able to love her. Not because she's great at loving people, because Christ compelled her. And this is how we can love, how we can be neighbors. We do it out of gratitude because we will do it. This is what Tim Keller put. I know Pastor Lo- Seuss loves Tim Keller, and, and so I, I, I borrowed this from his book, uh, uh, Ministries of Mercy. Right? Sacrifice, it is a sacrifice of praise to God's grace. We become neighbors because it is a sacrifice of of praise to God's grace. And this is my hope for our church. You know, Pastor Pastor Seuss talked about the sinner's dinner, right? In the very same way, as we drink more from the well of the gospel, my hope and prayer is that our congregation will be a church who will reach out and be a neighbor to anyone, not merely because it is a command, but because we want others to to taste the sweet grace of Jesus that we have tasted so how can we begin to make these sacrifices of praise how can we begin to even just start repenting of our self-preservation I think a couple applications you know help in a manner number one just, just be a neighbor I know it's like what what, what? be a neighbor you talk all this what do you say be a neighbor like, what, the heck is it? what the heck does that mean look the lawyer asked who is my neighbor and Jesus responds with essentially his response is just be one just be one because I think it's easy to get caught up with who, because there's so many different groups, and there's so many different people that we can be neighbors to, and it's like, at at times it gets daunting. But how about in your circle of influence? Be a neighbor to whoever is close to you. Keep it simple. Be a neighbor to whoever is close to you. In this case, just like the Samaritan, it was the person he saw on the road. It wasn't anything. Right? You are know, people close to us who are hurting. Right? They may not look like they're hurting on us, but they may be hurting. Right? We don't have to look too far. Our neighbor may be the person living next door. It may be a family member in need. It may be a church member in need. It may be a coworker in the midst of a financial crisis or a family crisis. It may be the kid in your class who doesn't have any friends. Start off close. Number two, make contact with them. Make contact with them. Be an advocate for them. Some of us suck at talking. Some of us don't like social interaction. Right? It gives you anxiety. I get it. Right? That used to be one of my big fears with strangers. Like, I know you guys are probably like, wait, you're speaking in front of everyone and you can do this. But honest to God, in middle school and high school, like, I did not, I was Deathly afraid, and I was deathly afraid because a lot of times I felt like I had to be perfect in every stranger and every neighbor that I met, right? So I can make an instantaneous impact. To that, let me say, you can't save the world. In the parable, of Jesus is not calling us to save the world. Just be a lending ear and ask and listen to their story, their needs, their hurts, because even a small act of loving is a doorway for the gospel to break forth in a person's life. Right. And leave the saving to Jesus. That's his job. Right. He'll, he'll, he'll do that. Right. We're not called to save. And lastly, um, remember, we can be creative. We can be creative in how we can be neighbors to those around us. Look, it doesn't only have to be about doing homeless shelters and soup kitchens. I mean, those are noble and great. right? But it can be whatever is in your sphere of influence and whatever is in your, I guess, pay grade talent. Right? What do I mean? Like, take this. I know in San Jose, there's an organization called Kids Club. They run an after-school program for, uh, for students. Right? And they teach, and it's, it's, a, it's a Bible-based program right, for elementary school students. And, and they partner with local churches to run it. And so maybe, right, you know, if you're a mom, you have elementary school student, you're busy all the time, right? And, but you want to get to know your kids, kids' friends. You want to get to know, you know, their parents, right? Here's, like, one very, like, simple and easy way to get into that world, right? Like I say, it can be within your sphere, Right? We can be creative about this. Right? You know, to pour out lives into kids who may need that little extra bit of loving. Right? Or maybe, right, God calls you and you have a particular love for those with special needs. Right? Because you have family who have special needs issues. You know, there are several families in our church who have who have children with special needs. And uh, we actually have a worship at twelve o'clock called Harangji for special needs people. That's one way, right? It doesn't require much, right? That you just be present, right? Um, for like an hour. I think it's like it goes from 12 to 1, right, guys? Yeah. Right. Shoot, maybe, right? Um, this is something that one of our members of our, our KM does, our Korean ministry. There's a member in our KM ministry in our church. He is like the unofficial funeral planner for our church. He's crazy, right? He saw a need and a desire to love grieving families, and he lovingly coordinates and directs families to the necessary resources to complete the funeral process, which can actually be quite daunting. Right? And let me say, I am deep, deeply grateful to him for helping our family through my uncle's funeral in March, last March. I really don't know what <laughs> I really don't know what I would we would have done without him. Right? and, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm using these examples not to like guilt you like oh see well, you, you gotta do this no no just, just to expand like look there are all these wonderful and different ways that we can right that we can and so new hope as we let our hearts okay and this is the primary if you forget everything else please remember this let our hearts rest in the gospel and the good news of the love that Jesus poured out onto us. When we start resting in that, I hope then, then we will pray and we'll consider and wrestle with opening up our hearts and being neighbors to the needy around us. Right? Even that thing that Jin wants to do with the sexually broken, Right? you know, you, you want to be a part of that. We're not doing, asking to do much. Pray on it. If the God, if the, if. if if the God of our salvation is compelling us. Right? So, new hope. This is what I hope we will be. A church like this, right? Where people can taste of the gospel. Through you. Through me. Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, um, again, I hope and pray that uh, it's very easy to, to look at this parable and be guilt-ridden and, and just tell us to do, 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 do. And, and I, pray, I, I pray that I did not do that today. I pray that the thing that really sticks out for us all is the fact that Jesus, you are the ultimate neighbor who loved us even when we were dying, even when we were in pain and hurt. Lord, may we rest in that in that alone and when and, and, and when, when that love O oh Lord starts to penetrate our hearts and it starts to sink and it starts to over, overflow in us then, then I pray may we consider loving our neighbors as a sacrifice as a pleasing sacrifice because we want to as a sacrifice and as a repentance to love you and have people taste of you, O oh Lord. This is my prayer. Will you just do this? You know, I'm not asking to do it overnight, but Lord, gradually do this in our whole church. Not just our EM and our youth, but our whole church, O oh Lord. Please. In your son's name. Amen.